Forlock Forbach Reads. Produced by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library. Welcome to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. Are you ready for some chivalric decapitation? Last time, our poet was obsessed with the transmogrification of humans into animals. This time, we do not know who wrote this famous King Arthur tale but it was recently remade as a popular A24 film in 2021. Yes, I'm talking about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Originally untitled, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is an important example of late 14th century chivalric romance, where the hero goes on a quest to test their prowess. Originally written in Middle English, it has been translated numerous times to a more modern English for the layman to read. One famous translator is J.R.R. Tolkien. The only surviving copy of the original manuscript survives and is part of the Cotton Library, the same library that hosts the original manuscript of Beowulf, which I read last year. And this cotton library had survived a fire in 1731. As my Middle English is, frankly, non-existent, I decided to read from Jesse Weston's 1898 prose translation, which is in the public domain. Jesse Weston was born on December 28, 1850 in Surrey, Her father was a tea merchant who remarried after her mother died when she was age seven. She went on to become a medievalist, folklorist, and scholar. Her most famous work, From Ritual to Romance, was notably cited by T.S. Eliot in his notes for his most famous poem, The Wasteland. Jesse died on September 29, 1928. Now, here are some famous events that happened in the 14th century when this Sir Garwin and the Green Knight poem was written. The Black Death claims 25 million lives, wiping out one-third of Europe's population. The Hundred Years' War is fought between England and France after the death of Charles IV. Tamerlan establishes the Timurid Empire, the third largest empire created by a single conqueror. The military campaigns caused the death of approximately 17 million people, or 5% of the world's population. Ibn Khaldun makes contributions to historiography, sociology, political science, and economics with work on supply and demand theory and the cyclical theory of empires. His works would be compared to the later works of Niccolo Machiavelli, David Hume, and Adam Smith. The Mongol court is driven out of China. Mansa Musaf I of Mali becomes the wealthiest individual of medieval times and possibly ever. 
So sharpen your axe, because it's time for the beginning of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. I will pick it up at the introduction of the Green Knight to the Knights of the Round Table. Now I will say no more of the service, but that ye may know there was no lack, for there drew near a venture that the folk might well have left their labor to gaze upon. As the sound of the music ceased, and the first course had been fitly served, there came in at the hall door one terrible to behold, of stature greater than any on earth, from neck to loin so strong and thickly made, and with limbs so long and so great that he seemed even as a giant. And yet he was but a man, only the mightiest that might mount a steed, broad of chest and shoulders, and slender of waist, and all his features of like fashion. But men marveled much at his keller, for he rode even as a knight, yet was green all over. For he was clad all in green, with a straight coat and a mantle above, all decked and lined with fur was the cloth and the hood that was thrown back from his locks and lay on his shoulders. Hose had he of the same green, and spurs of bright gold with silken fastenings richly worked, and all his vesture was verily green. Around his waist and his saddle were bands with fair stones set upon silken work, twere too long to tell of all the trifles that were embroidered thereon, birds and insects and gay gods of green and gold. All the trappings of his steed were of meadow and of like enamel, even the stirrups that he stood and stained of the same, and stirrups and saddle-bow alike gleamed and shone with green stones. Even the steed on which he rode was of the same hue, a green horse, great and strong and hard to hold, with broidled bridle meet for the rider. The knight was thus gaily dressed in green, his hair fallen around his shoulders. On his breast hung a beard, as thick and green as a bush, and the beard and the hair of his head were clipped all round above his elbows. The lower part of his sleeves were fastened with claps in the same wise as a king's mantle. The horse's mane was crisp and plaited with many a knot folded in with gold thread about the fair green. Here a twist of the hair, here another of gold. The tail was twined in like manner, and both were bound about with a band of bright green set with many a precious stone. Then they were tied aloft in a cunning knot, whereon rang many bells of burnished gold. Such a steed might no other ride, nor had such ever been looked upon in that hall ere that time. And all who saw that night spake and said that a man might scarce abide his stroke. The knight bore no helm nor hauberk, neither gorget nor breastplate, neither shaft nor buckler to smite nor to shield. But in one hand he had a holly bow, that is greenest when the groves are bare, and in his other an axe, huge and uncomely, a cruel weapon in fashion, if one would picture it. 
The head was an L yard long, the meadow all of green steel and gold, the blade burnished bright with a broad edge, as well sharpened to shear as a sharp razor. The steel was set into a strong staff, all bound round with iron, even to the end, and engraved with green and cunning work. A lace was twined about it that looped at the head, and all adown the handle it was clasped with tassels on buttons of bright green richly broidered. The knight halted in the entrance of the hall, looking to the high dais, and greeted no man but looked ever upwards, and the first words he spake were, Where is the ruler of this folk? I would gladly look upon that hero and have speech with him. He cast his eyes on the knights and mustered them up and down, striving ever to see who of them was of most renown. Then was there great gazing to behold that chief, for each man marveled what it might mean that a knight and his steed should have even such a hue as the green grass and that seemed even greener than green enamel on bright gold. All looked on him as he stood, and drew near unto him, wondering greatly what he might be. For many marvels had they seen, but none such as this, and phantasm and fairy did the folk deem it. Therefore were the gallant knights slow to answer, and gazed astounded, and sat stone still in a deep silence through that goodly hall, as if a slumber were fallen upon them. I deem it was not all for doubt, but some for courtesy that they might give ear unto his errand. Then Arthur beheld this adventure before his high dais, and nightly he greeted him, for discourteous was he never. Sir, he said, Thou art welcome to this place. Lord of this hall am I, and men call me Arthur. Light thee down, and tarry a while, and what thy will is, that shall we learn after. Nay, quoth the stranger, so help me he that sitteth on high. Twas not mine errand to tarry any while in this dwelling. But the praise of this thy folk in thy city is lifted up on high, and thy warriors are holding for the best and the most valiant of those who ride mail-clad to the fight. The wisest and the worthiest of this world are they, and well proven in all knightly sports. And here, as I have heard tell, is fairest courtesy, therefore have I come hither as at this time. Ye may be sure by the branch that I bear here that I come in peace, seeking no strife. For I had willed to journey in warlike guise, I have at home both hauberk and helm, shield and shining spear, and other weapons to mine hand. But since I seek no war, my raiment is that of peace. But if thou be as bold as all men, tell thou, wilt freely grant me the boon I ask. And Arthur answered, Sir Knight, if thou cravest battle here, thou shalt not fail for lack of a foe. And the knight answered, Nay, I ask no fight, 
In faith here on the benches are but beardless children. Were I clad in armor on my steed, there is no man here might match me. Therefore, I ask in this court but a Christmas jest, for that it is Yuletide and New Year, and there are many here. If anyone in this hall holds himself so hardy, so bold, both of blood and brain, as to dare strike me one stroke for another, I will give him as a gift this axe, which is heavy enough, in sooth, to handle as he may list, and I will abide the first blow unarmed as I sit. If any knight be so bold as to prove my words, let him come swiftly to me here and take this weapon. I quit claim to it. He may keep it as his own, and I will abide his stroke firm on the floor. Then shalt thou give me the right to deal him another, the respite of a year from today shall he have. Now pledge me thy word, and let see whether any here dare say aught. Now if the knights had been astounded at the first, yet stiller were they all, high and low, when they had heard his words. The knight on his steed straightened himself in the saddle, and rode his eyes fiercely round the hall. Red they gleamed under his green and bushy brows. He frowned and twisted his beard, waiting to see who should rise. And when none answered, he cried aloud in mockery, What? Is this Arthur's hall, and these the knights whose renown hath run through many realms? Where are now your pride and your conquests, your wrath and anger and mighty words? Now are the praise and the renown of the round table overthrown by one man's speech, since all keep silence for dread ere ever they have seen a blow. With that, he laughed so loudly that the blood rushed to the king's fair face for very shame. He waxed wroth, as did all his knights, and sprang to his feet and drew near to the stranger and said, Now by heaven foolishness is thine asking, and thy folly shall find its fitting answer. I know no man aghast at thy great words. Give me here thine axe, and I shall grant thee the boon thou hast asked. Lightly he sprang to him, and caught at his hand, and the knight, fierce of aspect, lighted down from his charger. Then Arthur took the axe, and gripped a half, and swung it round, ready to strike. And the knight stood before him, taller by the head than any in the hall. He stood, and stroked his beard, and drew down his coat, no more dismayed for the king's threats than if one had brought him a drink of wine. Then Gawain, who sat by the queen, leaned forward to the king and spake, I beseech ye, my lord, let this venture be mine. Would ye but bid me rise from this seat and stand by your side so that my liege lady thought it not ill? Then would I come to your counsel before this goodly court. 
therefore I think it not seemingly that such challenge should be made in your hall that ye yourself should undertake it. While there are many bold knights who sit beside ye, none are there, methinks, of readier will under heaven or more valiant in open field. I am the weakest, I wot, and the feeblest of wit, and it will be the less loss of my life if ye seek sooth. For save that ye are mine uncle, not is there in me to praise. No virtue is there in my body save your blood. And since this challenge is such folly that it beseems ye not to take it, I have asked it from ye first. Let it fall to me. And if I bear myself ungallantly, then let all this court blame me. Then they all spake with one voice that the king should leave this venture and grant it to Gawain. Then Arthur commanded the knight to rise, and he rose up quickly and knelt down before the king and caught hold of the weapon. And the king loosed his hold of it and lifted up his hand and gave him his blessing and bade him be strong both of heart and hand. Keep thee well, nephew, quoth Arthur that thou give him but the one blow, and if thou redest him rightly, I trow thou shall well abide the stroke he may give thee after. Gawain stepped to the stranger, axe in hand, and he, never fearing, awaited his coming. Then the green knight spake to Sir Gawain, Make we our covenant ere we go further. First I ask thee, knight, what is thy name? Tell me truly, that I may know thee. In faith, quoth the good knight, Gawain am I, who give thee this buffet. Let what may come of it, and at this time twelve months will I take another at thine hand with whatsoever weapon thou wilt, and none other. Then the other answered again, Sir Gawain, so may I thrive as I am fain to take this buffet at thine hand. And he quoth further, Sir Gawain, it liketh me well that I shall take at thy fist that which I have asked here. And thou hast readily and truly rehearsed all the covenant that I have asked of the king, save that thou shalt swear me by thy troth to seek me thyself wherever thou hopest that I may be found. And when thee such reward as thou dealest me today before this folk. Where shall I seek thee? quoth Gawain. Where is thy place? By him that made me, I wot never where thou dwellest, nor know I thee, knight, thy court, nor thy name. But teach me truly all that pertaineth thereto, and tell me thy name, and I shall use all my wit to win my way thither and that I swear thee forsooth, and by my sure troth. That is enough in the new year. It needs no more, quoth the green knight to gallant Gawain. If I tell thee truly when I have taken the blow, and thou hast smitten me, then will I teach thee of my house and home, and my own name. Then mayest thou ask thy road and keep covenant, and if I waste no words, then farest thou the better, for thou canst dwell in thy land, and seek no further. But take thy now toll, and let see how thy striketh. Gladly will I, quoth 
Gawain handling his axe. Then the green knight swiftly made him ready. He bowed down his head and laid his long locks on the crown that his bare neck might be seen. Gawain gripped his axe and raised it on high. The left foot he set forward on the floor and let the blow fall lightly on the bare neck. The sharp edge of the blade sundered the bones, smote through the neck, and clave it in two, so that the edge of the steel bit on the ground and the head rode even to the horse's feet. The blood spurted forth and glistened on the green raiment, but the knight neither faltered nor fell. He started forward with outstretched hand and caught the head and lifted it up. Then he turned to his steed and took hold of the bridle, set his foot in the stirrup, and mounted. His head he held by the hair in his hand. Then he seated himself in his saddle as if not ailed him, and he were not headless. He turned his steed about, the grim corpse bleeding freely the while. And they who looked upon him doubted them much for the covenant. For he held up the head in his hand and turned the face towards them that sat on the high dais. And it lifted up the eyelids and looked upon them and spake as ye shall hear. Look, Gawain, that thou art ready to go as thou hast promised. And seek Leoli till thou find me even as thou hast sworn in this hall in the hearing of these knights. Come thou, I charge thee, to the green chapel. Such a stroke as thou hast dealt thou hast deserved, and it shall be promptly paid thee on New Year's morn. Many men know me as the knight of the green chapel, and if thou askest, thou shalt not fail to find me. Therefore it behooves thee to come, or to yield thee as a recreant. With that, he turned his bridle and galloped out at the hall door, his head in his hands, so that the sparks flew from beneath his horse's hooves. Whither he went, none knew, no more than they wist whence he had come. And the king and Gawain they gazed and laughed, for in sooth this had proved a greater marvel than any they had known aforetime. Though Arthur the king was astonished at his heart, yet he let no sign of it be seen, but spake in courteous wise to the fair queen, Dear lady, be not dismayed, such craft is well suited to Christmas tide, when we seek jesting, laughter, and song, and fair carols, of knights and ladies. But now I may well get me to meet, for I have seen a marvel I may not forget. Then he looked on Sir Gawain and said gaily, Now, fair nephew, hang up thine axe, since it has hewn enough. And they hung it on the dosso above the dais, where all men might look on it for a marvel, and by its true token tell of the wonder. Then the twine sat them down together, the king and the good knight, and men served them with a double portion, as was the share of the noblest, with all the manner of meat and of minstrelsy. And they spent that day in gladness, but Sir Gawain must well bethink him of the heavy venture 
to which he had set his hand. Thank you so much for listening to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County public library podcast. If you or Sir Gawain, would you honor your end of the deal with the Green Knight? Let us know on social media and be sure to follow this podcast for many more exciting adventures. Next time, we will delve into one of the longest poems in the English language and was written to gain favor in the court of Queen Elizabeth I. Till next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Warlock Vorbach Reads. Subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss future episodes. And discover more of our podcasts at chpl.org slash podcasts.